The passage I'm going to be reading from would be our scripture today, Matthew chapter 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Thank you. Amen. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word. You may be seated this morning. Now, I often get the question, and I don't know if you get the question, um, but uh, the question is something like this. Who, who are you? If you ever go into a new setting, people ask you a lot of questions about yourself. Uh, you know, what, what job do you have? Where do you live? Uh, what do y'all like to do? Uh, anyone ever get those questions? The kind of the who you are questions. And so this morning, what I want to begin to do for the next several months, now until October, is answer that question of a church. Who are we as a church? I've been reading through our constitution and bylaws, and so I've taken all that's in there and kind of jam-packed it into these next several months of who are we as Powell's Chapel? Who are we? What do we stand for? What do we believe in? What is our hope when every person comes into these doors? What's our hope and desire for a fully devoted follower of Christ? That's our desire. That's what the church is here for, is to make devoted followers of Christ. And so what does that look like? And so over the next several months, I'm going to go through different passages. I don't normally teach um, topical, and so I won't actually teach topical, I'll teach exegetical through different passages of who we are as a church, and the series is called This Is Us. Anyone ever seen that uh, TV show, This Is Us? It's the greatest TV show ever, uh, so I highly recommend it, but if you watch that show, that whole show is about all these different stories and how all these different stories make up one story, and that's true for every one of us in the room. All of us come from different backgrounds and all of us come from different stories, but yet there's a running theme. If you're a believer, all of our stories are the same, correct? And the story is simply this, that we are sinners apart from God that need a Savior to redeem us, to set us back in right relationship with God. And so what does that look like? What does it look like for us to be disciples? And so that's what I'll teach on these first two weeks or what do we stand for as a church our mission statement is to know him and to make him known that's what Powell's chapel exists to know god and to make him known and then the, the next four uh sundays after next week we'll look at our our uh, core values what do we believe god truth love mission and all those come out of our bylaws and constitution i just simplified them into four we want to, everyone to hold on to the truths of God, to who God is, to live on mission with God. And then we'll come to the outcomes. The outcomes are what is every follower of Jesus Christ for us to look like. We'll spend about five weeks there and we'll end around the revival. And the revivalist that's coming is BJ. You heard BJ last year, an amazing preacher, teacher of the word. And so I'd recommend, mark your calendars now. 
Uh, he's going to come and then he's going to flesh out. What does it really look like? You've heard about this as the church. Now, what does it look like for us to go into the community? And that's what BJ will be teaching on uh, and at, at the revival. And so this morning is the first part of our mission statement, to know God. What does it really mean for us, Powell's Chapel, to know God? And that's where Jonathan just read. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 22. And so Jesus had been, been asked a series of questions to trap Jesus, to come against Jesus, to get him in a loophole so that they could find him convicted of heresy and so they could finally throw Jesus into prison. That they could finally then take Jesus out of prison and then kill him. That was the plot of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So they'd come with two other questions and were asking Jesus these questions and each time he stumped them. And it says here in this passage that he left the Sadducees silent. He gave them such an answer that the Sadducees finally were silenced by the wisdom of God. And yet the Pharisees gathered back around and came and said, what is another question that we could ask Jesus? And they said, we got it. What we'll do is we'll take Jesus back to the Old Testament. And we'll ask Jesus, out of the 613 laws and commandments of God, what's the greatest of them all? You see, if God, Yahweh, gave us 13 commandments, then we can pin Jesus in and then make him tell us, hey, which is all of the greatest of all these 613? You see, what the Pharisees did back in the day, they were to say that there was weighty laws, and there were less weighty laws. And so they would divide the weighty laws. These are the ones that really matter. And these are the ones you can kind of get away with. Right? The ones you can't get away with, murder. There's death for murder. You see that in the Old Testament. But then there's these other commandments that you, you don't want to boil a goat in its mother's milk. Now, that's not so weighty. And so they're coming against Jesus and saying, really to Jesus, hey, out of all the laws... The weighty ones and the non-weighty ones. Jesus, what's the most important one? And here's what Jesus does. You see, the most important commandment is not to murder. That's an important one, but it's not the most important. All the ones. You see, the most important commandment for you and me today is simply this one word, love. You see, he says, out of all the commandments, What's the most important one? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest commandment, to love God with everything that you have. And I don't know about you, but I get to that question and I think to myself, what does that really mean? What does it really mean to love God with everything that I have? With, with all of my heart with all of my soul and with all of my mind if that's the most important question what jesus is saying the most important commandment is for you to know god not just know of him or know about him that's what brother frank taught on last week remember those two builders built their house one built their house on the knowledge that hey there is a god and the other built the knowledge that there is the god That's the most important commandment, is to know God, to love God 
You see, I think a lot of us, myself included oftentimes, get this idea of life totally backwards. Who, who's ever said this? Man, I love my wife. I love my husband. Okay, uh, man, there's not very many of us. We're in trouble. We might want to start there. Let's try that again. Who's ever said, I love my spouse. I love my girlfriend. And out of the same mouth says, I love tacos. I love burritos. I love you fill in the blank. Anyone ever? And so we get this idea of love. I can love Jenny with everything, and I can love a taco the same way. Right? That's what we're saying. And what Jesus is saying, no, no. What does it really mean, church, to know God? Powell's Chapel, what does it really mean for us to know and love God? If our mission statement is this, to know him, God, and then to make him known. You see, my greatest fear is we'll never do the latter because we have no idea the first part of the mission statement. We'll never know and let other people know who God is because we ourselves don't really know God ourselves. We know this concept of God and we know that God's done these things and he's done this and he's done that. And so we know some outliers of who God is, but we don't really know God. We don't really love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And so church, what would it mean for us this morning to know God? And I've been pondering this question since I, I sat down with my dear friend in the back. I stayed on to talk and pray about, man, what does it look like for us, Powell's Chapel, to know God? And I've been wrestling with this question. And I studied all week, and I, I got to the very end of last night. It was about 10 o'clock, and Jared came home, and Jenny came home from work, and they said, how's studying this week? And I'm like, man, it's not been going good. And they gave me that blank look like deer in the headlights. I'm like, yeah, that's what I've been feeling all week. And I went to my room and turned out all of uh, the, the lights except for my study light and just began to cry out to God. God, I know I can teach on what it really means to know you and to love you with all that I am. But God, I need more than that. We've heard that message a thousand and one times. And then at about 1030 at night, God said this. He said, turn to 1 John. So let's turn to 1 John. What does it mean, church, for us to know God? 1 John chapter 2. One day, I promise, I will teach through the book of 1 John. It is an amazing book of the Bible. I promise I'll get there. And so here's the book. Here's the idea of 1 John. 1 John is all about, hey, in the beginning, there was this guy. His name was Jesus. He was the light of the world. He dwelt among us. We saw him. We touched him. We heard about him. We saw the gospel. We had an opportunity to hear and to see and respond to the gospel. And this is what it means for us to know that and to live that way. Then John talks about walking in the light and having fellowship with him. I'll get to that part. And then he says this. My little children... I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, circle this word in your Bible, we have an advocate with the, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. 
He's the propitiation of our sin. That means he's the one that took on our sin, that he paid the debt which you and I could not pay for. That is the gospel. That is what it really means to know him, that you are wrecked in your sin, and there's nothing that you can do to get to God the Father. And so we needed a propitiation. We needed someone to pay our bill for us. And that's who Jesus is. He's our advocate. He's our propitiation of our sins. So that when we do sin, we come before Jesus Christ, the Holy One, and confess to Him. It says this, not only our sins, but also the sins of the whole world. And this is the passage that we'll look at this morning. Because I think more than anything, what we need to know is what Jared's saying and what we're saying. We need to know the assurance of our salvation. And so my hope this morning is, do you really know God? Do you really know Him? I don't know if you have a... I have a daughter that's in the first grade, and so many of you have probably had children that have been in the first grade. And the first grade is when it starts getting a little crazy. Because that's when homework comes home. And it's not just homework, but now they've got to start memorizing things called spelling words. Which for me, I'm terrified of tests. And I thought, oh no, man, my daughter's going to be an anxious, chaotic mess this week. Because that's just how I am. But what we would do with Tennyson, we'd sit her down every night and go through those spelling words. So that she would know them. Not just know about them, not just know, hey, there's 10 of them, not just know that there's some of them, but that, man, when the test came, that she would have the assurance of knowing what the words were so that she wouldn't be an anxious disaster when the teacher said, spell the word is. Spell the word the. And now for us, those are elementary things. You and I in the room, we'd spell those pretty easily. But for her... Those are big words to her. The toughest word was the word, see, I'm not from the South, so I'm not going to say it correctly. Uh, The word where, like where are you? And so the English language is messed up as it is. So there's 10 ways to to spell the word where. You can wear something. There's the, 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 the word were and where and all those words. And so that was her struggle, her, her struggle word. And she struggled to know that. And I wonder for us, in our salvation, where we struggle with really knowing God. And my greatest fear is so many of us will come into this place and we'll doubt our salvation. We'll wonder if it's really true, or we'll wonder if we've done enough, or we'll wonder you fill in the blank. And so we don't have the assurance that we really know God. And so John says here, you really want to know how you know God? This is how we do it. So church, the very first part of our mission statement is we're here to know God. So what does it look like, church, for us to know God? He says this, and by this we know, circle that in your Bible, we know that we have come to know him. So you want to know that you know that you know? John says, look here, this is how you know that you know that you know. If you keep his commandments and whoever says I know him but does not keep 
his commandments. He is a liar in the truth, knowing God is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly loves God. So he says, to know God and to love him are the same thing. You see that in that passage. So we can't say we know God and we love God if we don't do some things. The truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him is truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. So three things this morning. The test, the application, and the example. So what would it really look like for us to know God? Second Peter says it this way. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 10. Therefore brothers, therefore sisters, therefore believers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. You want to know if you're called and elect, do these things is what Peter says. You really want to know that you know God. Then be diligent to practice these things. And Paul says it this way. You really want to know that you know that you know that you love God. Examine yourselves. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. In Romans, Paul says this way in Romans chapter 8. Maybe one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible about our salvation, about our confirmation, about our calling and our election. He says it this way. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit in you, are sons of God or daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as son by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness about our spirit that we are children of God. You, do you know that you know that you know that you're a child of God this morning? Well, how do we know? Paul tells us in Galatians. We will know that we're saved by the fruit of the Spirit. We turn to Galatians chapter 5. He says it this way. Verse 5, 22. But circle that in your Bible because I'm going to get back to that word because that word is important in this text. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Such thing, there is no law. There is no law against these things. If you have the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law because you're in Christ Jesus. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What, are the, what is the flesh's passions and desires? Remember the word but. Now let's go to the words prior to the word but in verse 19. Now the work of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealous, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, 
envious, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like this, I warn you. As I warned you before, catch this passage. This is a frightening, frightening next part of this verse. I've warned you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so you know that you know that you know that you know God if you have the fruit of the Spirit. Catch that word. It's the fruit of the Spirit. That's a singular word. So we as believers know that we know that we know that we know God. If we love God, we keep His commandments. We'll get to that part in a minute. But we know that we know that we know if the fruit of the Spirit dwells in you. That means we must all have love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those must abide in every believer. We cannot pick and choose. Well, man, I'm good at love and I'm terrible at patience. Or I'm good at self-control, but the love part, ah, not so much. Well, Paul is saying, no, if you're a believer, if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, the fruit of the Spirit will be evident in your life. You see, you can come to my house, and I, I'm not, uh, I don't have a green thumb like Miss Donna and Mr. Larry at their uh, farm. Uh, and so I've been struggling to get tomatoes from a tomato vine. But you can at least come to my house and look at the vine because there's tomatoes on the vine. But I wonder for us, how many of us say, man, I am a believer, but when people look into our lives, there's no fruit of the Spirit. You couldn't tell if they're a believer or a tomato vine from an, I guess it's not, it's an apple tree. Like, if we took an apple tree, we took a cherry tree, and we set them up against each other, I wouldn't know which one is which until I saw what fruit the tree was bearing. And so we can go around all day and say, oh, I know God. And people in our lives say, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? Well, I know God. Come on, you, you hear me? I, I, I know God. I go to church. I go to Sunday school. I tithe. I do all these things. And people would look at us here at Pastor. Do you really know him, though? Because when you leave church, you don't act the same way when you're in the church. Like when you're at... Publix and someone in front of you cut you off. Like, what comes out of you? If you're in line, I saw that this, this week. Man, people get crazy at 7.30 in the morning. I was like, wow. These two guys were, like, blocking the lane. I mean, it was kind of obnoxious. But, man, this lady went ballistic. I was like, man, thank goodness the windows are rolled up because Cedar would hear words that he didn't need to hear yet, if you know what I mean. And then pulls away and there's a Jesus sticker. What now? Hold up a second. You see, because if I'm pushed and I'm squeezed, what ought to come out of me as a believer is love, joy, peace, patience, not division, not fits of rage. So do we really love and know God? So the test, John tells us, is this. Circle these words in your Bible. Let's turn back to 1 John chapter 2. And by this, those are two key words in this passage. John is now going to show us and tell us how we really know. By this, 
So that is a huge four-letter word. By this. By what, John? That's what you need to ask yourself when you come to the text. Okay, you know that you know that you know by this. Then I would say, what is it, John? Like, what is it? What is the this you're talking about, John? And he says that you know him. And by this, we know. What does that word know mean in this text? What does the word mean? We know. It's a word of total assurance and total uh, certainty. John is not saying, hey, you might know. There's a good chance you kind of will know. There's a possibility this could happen. He says, no, by doing this, you will know with 100% that you know God. And then he says this, that you have come to know him. Those three words have this idea of our assurance is based on past actions. Let me say that one more time. Our assurance is based on past actions, but here's the assurance. It's not your past actions. Let let me say that again. If I only get one amen, we got problems this morning. Look up here one time. It's when we know that we know that we know, it's based on past actions. It's not your actions. It's the actions of Christ Jesus and what he's done for you by the cross. Amen? So I can come to know God by his past actions. Therefore, I can put my assurance into him. And yet so often we put our assurance in ourselves. Well, I got to do more. I got to go to church more. I got to give more. I got to fill in the blank more. And know what John is saying. No, it's not your actions. It's the actions that have already taken place for you in Christ Jesus. And this is a result of our salvation. You see, our actions and how we live is a result and reveal what we truly believe about the works that have already been done for us. You see, I'm going to come to know God, I'm going to love God, and I'm going to do all that He commands because of the past action. You see, it's His actions that motivate me to complete obedience. And yet I wonder, do we really know the gospel? You see, do we really know the gospel, the totality of the gospel? And it does start with you. I ought to get some looks. It starts with you. The gospel does start with you. It starts with you understanding that you are a sinner fallen before Almighty God. So, yeah, the gospel does start with your acknowledgement of knowing, man, I am a wicked sinner before a holy God. And that, first and foremost, believer or unbeliever here this morning, you ought to be terrified. The wrath of God will come against every one of us that's apart from Christ Jesus because of our sin. You see, Frank said it last week, your best of your best of your best Acts of righteousness are but filthy rags. That's the best you got. And it's left filthy rags. So we got to say, okay, my best is still filthy rags before a holy God. Oh, no. Which takes us off of ourselves and points us to the cross and say, man, there has to be something that can redeem that or I am doomed to hell. Which points us to Christ Jesus. Jesus. 
So I know that I know that I know because I'm a wicked sinner that's apart from God that God has sent his loving son to save me. And when I really begin to live that daily, will I not be motivated to do what John says, to walk in his commandments? Man, I don't want to live here. I I don't. Maybe you do. I don't. I don't want to just get a get-out-of-hell-free card. That's not where I want to live. I want to live what Jesus said in John 10, 10, that you have life and life to the full. The only way to have a full life is through his salvation and then through the works that he allows you to do. See, James is right on the money. It's not your works that save you, but it's by your works that show that you're saved. Do we believe that? You see, so many believers, quote-unquote, have all they've done is walked an aisle. You, you hit it on the head, Frank, last week. If all you've done is walked an aisle, turned around and walked back, and nothing in your life has changed, you ought to be terrified. I can walk up and down all day. You, I'll show you if you want. But that walking up and down doesn't do me anything. I can jump in that water, do backstrokes, backflips, turn around, spit water out of my mouth, and be baptized. But that doesn't do me any good if there hasn't been an internal change from knowing that I'm a wicked sinner saved by God's grace. Which says this, Titus says it this way. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by His works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Is that you this morning? Is that me this morning? Here's the great gift, though. Here's how we know it's not about us, but it's what God has done for us. Jeremiah chapter 31. The new covenant, if if you see that in your Bible. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I, circle that in your Bible, I will make a new covenant with the house of God of Israel or with the church the house of Judah not like the covenant I made to their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt my covenant that they broke that I was their husband declares the Lord for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord this is what God will do for you I will put my law within them I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall one teach his neighbor and each of his brothers saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities and I will remove their sin from them. You see, that's what happens when we really know God. We know God because God has removed the heart of stone in you, and he has placed the heart of flesh in you, the spiritual heart. And that's not nothing that any one of us in this room deserves or did, but it's God's choosing. He chose you to do that in you and for you because he loved you, and that's the bottom line. He didn't look at all of us standing on the brick wall getting ready for kickball and thought, ah, he's good, he's good. Nah, not that one. That won't be good for my team. That one, that one, that's good. Those two, not so much. 
No, he didn't pick you because of what you bring to the table. He chose you because of his great love for you. And we ought to shudder at that. And then he says this. You will know him. And you'll know that the new covenant is in you. He says, if you what? Keep his commandments. What does that word keep mean? That's such a vital word in this passage. What does it really mean for us, church, to know God and to keep his commandments? The word keep there is this one word, a watchful obedience. To guard, to protect. The only way you're going to be watchful and obedient and to guard and to protect is to know what you're guarding and protecting. If not, if, if not, you're just wandering around aimlessly hoping for the best. But when someone puts me in charge of people, I know what I'm protecting. Like when you come to my house to babysit Tennyson and Cedar, I hope you're watchful and guardful and not just oblivious. Because if you're oblivious to what you're watching, then my kids are in great danger. And so is true with the law of God. Do you know that you know that you know the law of God and you're watchful of what you know? Do you know God's word? Because if you know God's word, you're going to be watchful over God's word in your own heart. Here's how Jesus says it in John chapter 14. You want to know that you know? If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Catch what he said in verse 23. You will come to know him and make his home in you if you keep his commandments. So many people say, man, I'm not hearing from the Lord. I haven't seen the Lord at work. I haven't, you fill in the blank. Well, I would say, do you know and treasure God's word? Because if you know and treasure God's word, then God will reveal those things to you. Do we know that, church? Well, here's the application to knowing God's word. He says it this way in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. The application to knowing God is this. It's if we say that we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The application is your fellowship and relationship with God. Do you have a relationship and fellowship with God this morning? You see, if you don't keep his commandments, you have no relationship with him. You have no fellowship with him. You, you, may, have, um, you, you may have justification, but I doubt you have sanctification. I, I want sanctification. I want the ongoing reality. That I'm becoming more and more and more and more like Christ Jesus. You see, if all I have is justification, then I'm not really going to have a full and abundant life. I might have a fun life, but I won't have a full life. You see, here's what those words mean. He says it this way. Go, let's go back to verse 4 and 5 of 1 John chapter 2. 
Whoever says, I know him, but does not, not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So he gives us a negative of what it means of our application. You're a liar if you don't keep his commandments. And then he gives us a positive. But whoever keeps, whoever treasures his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Right, circle this in your Bible. The love of God means this, the love for God. Let me say that again. Those words, the love of God, really, in the original language, is the love for God. I think a lot of us, we have the love of God. Like, he's a great idea. He's a great concept. He, he mix and matches when I need him. But do we really have a love for him? Like, a passionate desire for him. The four takes me back to him always. The, the, the idea of just loving him, the, the, the concept of loving him keeps me at, at a distance from him. But when I really have a love for something, I'm going after it. I'm going to go after it with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, the greatest commandment. And let's look at the last one. The great example. How do we now live it out? How do we live out this idea of really knowing and loving God? That's our first part of our mission statement. We exist to know God. So what does that example look like? It says this, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let me say that one more time. Whoever says he abides in him, I'll get to that word in a moment, circle that in your Bible, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In the same way in which he walked. That's Christ Jesus. And so this is what it means for us to abide in him. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus himself said this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. See, there is no fruit of the Spirit unless there's this idea of abiding in Him, which means you must be grafted into Him. You cannot lay here on your own and God over here and there's no grafting of your heart to his heart. You will never bear fruit. There must be a denial of self and a recognition that I must be grafted in to the power of the universe to do anything that's righteous and holy. If not, I have filthy rags. So are you abiding in Christ Jesus? Because if you're abiding in him, the promise is he abides in you. I am, the, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now we can say, well, Jesus, what do you mean by that? You, you and I will leave here, and we won't abide in him. We'll do a lot of things, but we'll do nothing with eternal value. That's what he's talking about. Like, you'll leave here. If you're not abiding in him, sure, you'll go to lunch. You'll, you'll have good conversations. You'll enjoy things. But they'll have no significance in the kingdom of God. Is that what you want? I don't want that. So we must walk as Christ Jesus. And how did Christ Jesus walk? Here it is. 
For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So you know you're abiding in Christ Jesus when your self-will has not run riot. And it's the will of God that's leading you. It's the will of God that's keeping you. It's the will of God that's guiding you. He says it this way in John chapter 8. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I will always do the things that are pleasing to him. You, you remember what we just read. We are to walk in the same manner of Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus in chapter 8 of John says, I am not alone. And I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? It's all the things that I do pleasing to God. You see, if you're a believer here this morning, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit is what brings conviction. If there's conviction in your life, there must be repentance. If there's repentance, then there's turning. If there's turning, then we don't go back to what we just repented of. So if there's this ongoing sin in your life that you keep saying you're sorry for, I'd say, are you sorry really for it? Are you just sorry you keep getting caught for it? See, Paul says it this way. There's a worldly confession that leads to death, but there's a godly sorrow that leads to ongoing repentance. And ongoing repentance is, it's no longer in my life. I'm not saying we don't struggle with it, but the pattern is no longer there. The daily pattern of sin. Yes, we will sin. There's no doubt about that. But is it a habitual daily pattern of sin? If that is true, then I would say there may not be repentance in your life. And which would lead me to believe you don't really believe that Christ Jesus is in you that you can surrender to because it's only through Christ Jesus that you will not go on, on sinning. And it will be him through your abiding in him that gives you the power to say no to sin and yes to him. And lastly, John 10 says this. It is for this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it up for me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This is the charge that I have received from the Father. Do we realize that God, through Christ Jesus, sacrificed himself for you and for me? You see, do we really believe that? Because that's going to lead us into what we're going to talk about next week. You see, if we really love God, then our love for God will walk in the way Christ Jesus did. How did Christ Jesus live? He lived by laying his life down for everyone. And so therefore, we want to know him. And through making him known is because we lay our lives down the same way he laid his life down for us. You see, again, I said at the beginning of the message, I'll say it again now. You'll never lay your life down for anybody if you don't understand what Christ Jesus has done for you. If you do not know God, you would be a foolish man or a foolish woman to lay your life down for anybody. But when we live our lives according to the scriptures of Christ Jesus and we love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, then they will compel us to lay our lives, our pride, our ego, our desires, our you fill in the blank, so that other people will know the same God that redeemed you from your wicked, wicked ways. But it's only through knowing him. You see, the church for so long has gotten it backwards. 
The church is so long gone after, hey, let's just reach the center, reach the center, reach the center. We need to do that, but we need to start because we know who God is. You see, the whole idea of a seeker-friendly church was not the church that Christ Jesus founded. The, the church is not for unbelievers. The church is for believers to grow in their knowledge, their wisdom, their dependency on God, and take all that knowledge and get the heck out of here and go make him known to a lost world. It's not my job. Let me say that again. It is not my job to win your friends, your neighbors to Christ. That's your job. It's my job to say to you, do you know God and are you compelled to make him known to a lost world? Don't bring your lost friends here and let me teach them the gospel. I, I delight in that, but let me teach you how to teach them. You say, I can't be everyone's discipler. That's your role, but you've got to know God first. You see, in closing, I'll say this. We as believers will never walk perfectly. We will never walk perfectly. I'm not talking about perfection in this passage. I'm not talking about perfectly. But I am saying this. We will have a desire to establish patterns in our lives of obediently walking with God and Jesus daily. If we really know him and we love him, then the patterns of our lives will be modeled and shaped around our knowledge of his love for us. Let us pray. God, we can come to this passage where you were challenged and you were tested and those men said to you, what's the greatest commandment? And you took all 613 commandments and said it this way, that you would love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so, God, today, in all of us, the greatest sin we can ever commit isn't murder, isn't treason, isn't debauchery, isn't drunkenness, isn't you fill in the blank. Our greatest sin that we could ever commit is not loving you. Because that out, of, out of not loving you, all other sins will happen. So I pray for us as a church, God. I pray for us as we begin this series about who are we, Powell's Chapel, that it will always, always, every day, from here on out, the rest of our lives, with us asking the question to ourselves, do I really know God? Do I really love God? Have I really kept His commandments today? God, and out of that inventory of our lives, we'd confess those sins to you. And out of confession of the sins, we'll be dependent on you to walk a different way tomorrow. But God, I pray that we in this room would know you. And God, I pray for the man or woman that's here that doesn't know you, that hasn't trusted you as their Savior. They're sitting there as you, the Holy Spirit, speaks to them and says, you haven't been walking with God. You've walked an aisle, but you haven't walked with God. That that deep conviction that can only come from your spirit would convict them, God, to say to them, man, I need to walk with God, not walk in aisle. But they'd walk with you. Give us courage, give us hope, give us strength, God, to walk with you. Let us keep your commandments. Let us guard them with all of our heart, with all of our mind all of our strength with all that we are we 
keep the commandments that you have set before us. Because it's in this, God, that we have life. We have freedom. We have salvation. Lead us and guide us, I pray. Let us know you with all that we are. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus.